welcome back. It's Monday, so that means Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and joining me today is Kathy Warwick. She is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator and just all around the best dietitian I know. Don't tell all the other dietitians I know because they will get (laughs) jealous. Um, But she is uh, fantastic at what she does, and we always have fun on this show. She has been the guest for the past couple of um, myths and facts shows we've done, and we've focused those around nutrition. And we're going to continue that today, but we're going to turn the dial a little bit and focus it in on diabetes and some facts and myths related uh, to diabetes. And so if you guys have questions about diabetes or comments or want to talk about any of these facts or myths or confusions that you may have, we would love to talk with you. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Good morning, sweet Kathy. Good morning. I'm glad to be here today. Well, you're always a joy to have on the show, and you always make me feel better about what I tell folks because I tell them the same stuff you do. And so that's a little bit of validation for me that I didn't make it up, that um, it really is true science based, evidence based nutrition information that we're trying to get out to folks. And so I know as a diabetes educator that you hear anything and everything related <laughs> to questions about diabetes because there's a lot of information floating around out there on the internet absolutely and with diabetes you know it's one of those disorders that everybody knows somebody with diabetes everybody has you know somebody in their family that has diabetes or a close friend and so when that happens we oftentimes get exposed to things that might not be true (laughs) um, but that we've seen somebody do or heard somebody say and we want to kind of clear up some of that today right there's a there's a lot of well-meaning friends and relatives that will give you advice Mm -hmm. when you first get diagnosed, Mm -hmm. but it's not always exactly accurate. Mm -hmm. So there's some wives' tales and some other things. And then I'll just say from the standpoint of being a dietitian, a trip through the grocery store can be entirely overwhelming. Oh, it absolutely can be. Because, you know, advertisers are good at advertising Mm -hmm. and they want you to buy their product. So sometimes the labels can be misleading and confusing. And so there's a whole bunch of things that can be really, really challenging when you first get diagnosed. They absolutely can be, you know, depending on how things are marketed and packaged, they look very healthy. Exactly. You know, and they may even use really great terms like natural and organic and healthy and new and gluten-free. Gluten. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to stick that on everything and then people buy it. <laughs> Did exactly. I tell you about the, the beef jerky I saw in the checkout aisle the other day? And it said gluten-free on the side. And I was like, pretty sure the cow comes gluten-free. So I'm not real <laughs> sure why that it would be special that it would be gluten-free jerky now i don't know how you manufacture it maybe you normally add some gluten in that but i just i giggled out loud when i saw it because i I was like i I think that might be a marketing gimmick right there to get somebody to buy that sure is you know and so we really got to look at looking on the back of the label and things and even if you don't understand the stuff on the label look at your ingredient list and just see does it match what the front of the product says you know if it claims that it's a wheat product Wheat should really be the first ingredient on your list. Or or high fiber or anything like that. Whole grain. You should look for those things. But that's just a whole other show. It is a whole other show. And that's why you keep coming back because we've got so much good stuff to talk about. (laughs) So one of the first that I want to talk about is type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Because I hear a lot... Folks say uh, that type 1 diabetes is the the bad one. You know, it's, not, it's okay if you have type 2, but type 1 is the really, really bad one. What What's up with that? Well, you know, I think of type 1 as being a, a, a 
bad type of diabetes because it typically happens more often in children and young adults, Mm -hmm. and they have to take insulin in order to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So it does sort of mean that that child's going to have a whole different you know, grown up set of challenges, set challenges that that at a young age, and that makes it difficult for family members. But that's only about five percent of the people who have diabetes, mm-hmm. and it happens rather quickly that you get diagnosed. You'll get real sick or end up in the emergency room thinking you have the flu bug, and right away, typically, you get diagnosed. Right. Type 2 diabetes is sneaky, Mm -hmm. and it can be five, six, seven years um, in the making in your body before you get diagnosed, which gives that blood sugar being out of whack time to do damage to your kidneys, to your heart, to your eyes, and all the nerves and blood vessels vessels. in the body, Mm -hmm. and you don't know you have it. And so to me, type 2 is the bad kind Mm -hmm. because it is not apparent right away to the person with diabetes. They may have a few of the symptoms, but there are also things we can blame on other things. We can say, well, fatigue, but, you know, I'm tired because I'm taking care of grandchildren and mm-hmm. I'm also taking care of my elderly parents. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to call Josie and say, hey, I need to come see you because I'm, I'm tired. tired. Um, you know, and symptoms are odd, like I might get up in the middle of the night to pee, but hey, a lot of folks do that. A lot of know. people do that for different reasons. Um, or I might have a little blurry vision, but I'm getting to be 60. I need glasses. Right. Um, so I can pass off a lot of those subtle symptoms as not being anything to sweat or worry mm-hmm. about or nothing I'd call the physician about or right. go see. So so that's one of the tricky parts about type 2. Type 2 can do just as much damage to the body and be just as challenging to manage as type 1 if not more so, because the being obese or being overweight adds to the challenge in that we're insulin resistant when we have extra weight. Mm-hmm. And that means sometimes we have to add more medications and more medications right. in order to control it. So it, it's a challenge either way and diabetes either way. You've got to take control right. before and it, take it very seriously before it sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a that's a common misconception is if I don't have to take a shot. Then I'm okay. Then I'm okay. And I don't really have to worry about it. Or I can just take this pill and eat whatever I want Mm -hmm. and I'll be fine. I hear that one as well. I hear that one a ton. And we'll talk a little bit more about that one uh, in just a minute. But I do want to go to Balexi and talk with Craig this morning. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, I want to know the most recent uh, breakthroughs in in the development of and research of uh, the diabetic conditions. Okay. Anything in particular or just all of them? Because that's going to be a while. Yeah, I have low blood sugar. (laughs) Okay. Uh, As long as I eat all the time, I'm okay. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll kind of take some of that. You know, so low blood sugar is hypoglycemia. So some individuals with diabetes also have hypoglycemia, and that happens when they don't eat on time, or they take their insulin and then don't eat, or they overexercise, things like that. And then there are individuals who don't necessarily have diabetes that will have low blood sugar spells as well. Um, some of that is, well, the majority of that is from the kind of wonkiness of the different hormones so not necessarily insulin but you've got counter-regulatory hormones in the body that help to raise the blood sugar in times of fasting um, 
they go up and down during our sleep patterns as well because we don't need as much sugar on board during that period of time. So there's some alterations in those. And then there are actually some tumors that will secrete things like insulin um, that will cause hypoglycemia. Um, so that is kind of where we're standing with hypoglycemia. It takes a little bit um, of digging and investigation in a patient that has hypoglycemia to figure out exactly what what the cause of that is. There can also be some issues with the adrenal glands that are causing some of the hypoglycemia from that perspective. Um, Kathy, as far as up-and-coming research in the world of diabetes, you got anything? Well, I was just going to make the comment that um, I've seen over the long time that I've been a diabetes educator, folks that have hypoglycemia mm-hmm. sometimes later in life convert over to having type 2 mm-hmm. diabetes. And that's what Josie was talking about. The There's several hormones and several chemicals in the body that help to control your blood sugar. And under normal circumstances, if you don't have diabetes or, or hypoglycemia, your blood sugar is going to stay pretty much in a real tight, normal range. So it, it could be that there was a, a, a problem with the pancreas and the way that it regulates the blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And at first, it looks like low blood sugar, and you have to eat on a regular basis. And then that can sometimes become type 2 diabetes. So the good news is, basically, you would eat the same way for both conditions. You want to focus on the healthy eating. You want to focus on eating on a regular not exactly the same time every day, but on a regular yeah, don't schedule. Don't set your watch. Most folks don't have to set an alarm. No, but don't skip meals and try to be more aware of eating uh, healthy foods every three to four hours through the day. And that, mm-hmm. that generally helps your body to feel better and to have a, a steady state of blood sugar levels so that your brain can function and you can mm-hmm. feel good. But um, do, do watch your hypoglycemia mm-hmm. because that's one of the things that we know can be kind of a maybe a first sign that you might end up one day having diabetes. Mm-hmm. All right, Craig, thank you so much for that call this morning, and we hope that helped. And if you need more information, you're welcome to send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about some of these. You know, we were talking about hormones that go up and down. And so that's one of the things that I hear from folks when they have a high blood sugar in the morning. So that first Mm -hmm. thing in the morning sugar um, will be high. And so they immediately think it's what they ate the night before. It's not always the case, right? No, in fact, it can be kind of confusing because I'll have brand new Uh, newly diagnosed folks say, I've just stopped eating anything after six o'clock at night and I've quit eating a bedtime snack and I took my medicine and then I'm darn if I don't wake up the next day and my blood sugar is higher than Mm -hmm. when I went to bed. Part of that is that your liver has a job to watch your blood sugar while you're sleeping. And that's the way I explain Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's like it's the night patrolman. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of watching and it starts if you if you don't eat anything after six o'clock, which is another common piece of Mm -hmm. advice you get from friends and family. Um, somewhere around two or three o'clock in the morning, real typically your blood sugar can drop low. And then your liver kind of says, ooh, there's a low blood sugar. Let me fix it. Your liver does store some sugar so that if it did get low in the middle of the night, your liver can put a little out into the bloodstream and keep you safe until you wake up. But when you have the genetics for diabetes and you have that family history or, you know, all those other issues that come with that, your liver may go berserk a little bit and it dumps out a bunch of sugar Mm -hmm. in response to that low blood sugar that you didn't know you were having. And so you wake up the next morning and you think, gosh, I know it was something I ate last night for supper. But that's not always true. In fact, I'll encourage folks that try the experiment of actually getting a bedtime Mm -hmm. snack and then watch and see if not tomorrow morning your blood sugar is 
better than when you didn't. Now, so that sounds really backwards, but if I don't let my blood sugar drop too low at two or three in the morning, I kind of short circuit that that hyper response mm-hmm. of the liver. The liver doesn't go crazy and just dump out sugar. Mm-hmm. So, so that can be part of it. Um, and then the hormones that wake us up in the morning. I say they're, your body's trying to get you ready for your day. Um, they they ramp up your blood pressure. They they speed up your heart rate, and they also raise your blood sugar so that you can jump out of bed and get go, going. Get going. And in some folks, those hormones kind of overdo as well, and they raise your blood sugar a little higher than it needs to be. But um, you know, you again can work on the exercise and the healthy eating and some of those things and a little bit of weight loss. And sometimes those will normalize. They'll they'll fix themselves mm-hmm. basically with those habit changes. Yeah. And I agree. You know, I often recommend that kind of a bedtime snack, a little mm-hmm. carbohydrate protein combination um, that will hopefully prevent that bottoming out that's happening in the middle of the night. That's making the liver just squirt out some extra sugar that we don't need because while we need it. If we have diabetes, whether it be type 1 or type 2, either we don't have enough insulin or we've got insulin but our body's not using it, there's n- there's no cleanup crew to come in and take care of that extra sugar that got squirted out. And so you're going to wake up high, and that's a frustrating position to start in when you feel it like really you're, you start your day losing. You know, you're already on the losing end of this blood sugar. And so what I see folks then do is they go, well, I'm just not going to eat breakfast because my blood sugar is high. And it just continues the same cycle over and over and over again. In general, it always, your body always seems to like it best when you do those regular, um, maybe smaller meals, but regular, smaller, healthy meals Mm -hmm. through the day that your body really does function better with a steady source. I always say like a little bit of fuel. Mm Mm-hmm. To keep you going, going all day. Well, you know, and one of our very good friends and a fellow dietitian, uh, Rebecca Turner, the way she describes it is um, like a factory. Mm-hmm. And the workers that show up for uh, a shift at the factory. And so factories work on 12-hour shifts, but your body works on about four-hour shifts. And so you need a new set of workers to come in about every four hours. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, think about what would happen if whoever was supposed to come um, relieve you from your job at the factory didn't show up. You're going to have to try and stay and finish, but you're tired and you're yeah. sluggish and the body just doesn't work as well. Exactly. And it does that. And that is confusing to people. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some facts and some myths related to diabetes. And we would love for you to join in our conversation. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back in just a few. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and my guest today is Kathy Warwick. She's a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, and we are talking about diabetes today. In particular, we're trying to pick apart those myths that are out there and give you some facts associated with diabetes and what you can eat, what maybe you should limit a little bit of, and just really anything you guys want to talk about related to diabetes. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. All right, Kathy, we got a little deep down into the hormones and all of that <laughs> stuff a minute ago. Let's um, bring it back to um, some things that related to food and some of the myths we hear about that. But before we dive into that, I do want to get to our caller. We're going to go to um, Gulfport and talk with Donna this morning. Hello, Donna. Good morning. How are y'all? Oh, we're just fine. How are you? I'm doing well. My my question was. Um, I had two babies and had gestational diabetes with both mm-hmm. and was just, my doctor has said I'm pre-diabetic, but I wanted to hear y'all talk a little bit more about how, what are some things that I could do to prevent the onset of type two? Ooh, Fantastic. that's a great that question. That is an excellent question. All right. So I'm going to let Kathy start and then I'll pick up anything that uh, I don't think the master gives me, but I bet <laughs> she gives it to me all. Donna, that's a great question. Um, in fact, I wish more folks would be interested in what they could do because mm-hmm. if you really jump on it, and you work really hard at getting your um, 150 to 180 minutes of exercise each week, and that can be just walking. And if you can work at losing about 5% of your weight. So, you know, I always give the example, if I weigh uh, 200 pounds, I'm going to try to lose 10 pounds, Mm -hmm. and then I might try to lose 15. But so nothing real outrageous on weight loss, but a little slow, gradual weight loss over time. Those two things are huge. If you can work really hard at um, just cutting back on your carbohydrate in your diet, in other words, you know, watching those starches and watching those extra portions and desserts and that kind of thing, you don't have to cut them out completely, but really watch that. Um, the amount of carbohydrate that you get each meal and then daily as a total. And and that varies with people's height, weight, and that kind of thing. I would give you an individualized sort of goal if, right. I, if I knew more particulars. But a lot of it has to do with limiting your, your sitting time, moving your body more. And if you can lose just a little bit of weight, there's some really good statistics that if you can keep it off for five years, you can almost count on not ending up with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. So so you do have control over that. You don't have control over your genetics, unfortunately. You can, didn't get to pick grandparents and parents, but but you can do some things with your diet in terms of just cutting back your calories. And a lot of times I see patients that even if they don't lose any weight, if they cut back on their calories, their blood sugars just mm-hmm. begin to look really good. But it's it's time to jump on it now because mm-hmm. your opportunity to prevent it is in that first time that, you know, your doctor says to you, you're pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. That's the time to really give it a good go. I agree with all of those things, you know, um, just for listeners who may not know exactly what we're talking about with prediabetes. So that is kind of when our blood sugar levels are higher than what we would consider normal, but not high enough to be diagnostic of diabetes. And, you know, no pun intended, but this is the sweet spot, right? If we can catch folks Mm -hmm. right here in this particular um, phase, it is much easier to make these changes and to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. And so just like Kathy said, um, about 5% of total body weight loss is 
great. It's got good, relevant data that supports that that produces a favorable glucose or glycemic profile. Um, but what I want to caution you on and, and reinforce is the rate at which that weight loss should occur. Mm-hmm. So um, just using the example of someone that's 200 pounds, so you know, 10% of that would be 20 pounds, 5% would be 10 pounds. A good healthy weight loss regimen is about one to two pounds a week. Now, I tend to err on the side of being a little bit slower than the two pounds. I usually try to focus and get folks down one pound a week because the restrictions that we have to do to lose two pounds a week are pretty hard to stick with. And that's when folks usually get discouraged and give up and then then eat all the things. <laughs> you know, so another I, another thing, too, that happens, Donna, when you start exercising is you're going to build some muscle and mm-hmm. muscle is heavier and denser than fat tissue. So don't get too hung up on the scale either. Mm-hmm. Um, you could step on the scale and you've lost two pounds of fat, but you've gained a couple pounds of muscle mm-hmm. and then you get frustrated. Mm-hmm. So look at your clothing and how it fits. And if you've noticed that your blue jeans are now loose and you're getting in a dress that you weren't able to wear before, that's all positive. That means you've lost several inches and inches in your waist are important. In fact, they're saying we should stop weighing people at the doctor's office. We should take a tape measure out and measure your waist because waist circumference has a lot more scientific evidence to say that that's what's putting us at risk. So mm-hmm. losing that weight right around the middle seems to really decrease your risk for type 2. And so for women, you, you want your waist to get below 36 inches. 35 to 36. 35, 36 mm-hmm. inches. And for men, you really don't want your waist much bigger than 40. Mm-hmm. So if you can measure your waist with a measuring tape, don't bother with the scale. That's a huge, huge step towards preventing type 2. Mm-hmm. And we do that in lifestyle medicine. I usually have, instead of a stethoscope draped around my neck, I have a tape measure. Mm-hmm. I look like I'm making dresses or something right. in clinic. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But it is a very valuable marker of the amount of uh, fat tissue that we're carrying around our midsection, which is a risk factor for heart disease. So all of that to say, Donna, we want to move more and we want to be a little bit, um, you know, lots of folks say eat less, but, you know, definitely work on portion control, but then building the plate out of real foods um, that have the nutrients that you're needing. So fruits and veggies, whole grains, lean protein. If you're looking for a little bit more direction for that, Southern Remedy does have a 100% free program that's online at mpbonline.org and you go to the southern remedy tab and there'll be a little flag that says healthy living guide you can click right there and we have a fitness program for that'll get you up walking and doing some exercises at home as well as a nutrition program that will teach you about building a healthy plate and those healthy food groups and how those all can can work together to decrease your risk of type 2 diabetes does that sound like a plan that does, and I'm going to throw you a little curveball. I'm five four and a, I'm five four and a hundred and eight. So I've always heard people say lose the weight, right? But, but you're not, not you're just as about. big as a minute. <laughs> well, this was helpful in hearing about the diet and the exercise. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. I appreciate your response. Oh, you're so welcome. Just let me know if you need anything else. You can always email me. It's fit at mpbonline.org, and I'm happy to help you however I can. Thanks, y'all. You're welcome. Have a good Monday. 
All right, that was a lot of good information there. And that kind of leads us into talking about food a little bit more and what those healthy foods are, because we hear that word carbohydrate all the time. And I tend to think about carbohydrate as kind of the umbrella term. You know, it's kind of the the big um, macronutrient term. And then we hear all these other things like starch, sugar, fiber, all of those things fall underneath the carbohydrate header. And so in particular, the starch and the sugar part can, those are the ones that are going to mess with our blood sugar. Exactly. So I'll I'll tell patients, you know, I know a saltine cracker doesn't taste sweet because they come in focused on, I'm cutting out a lot of my desserts, Mm -hmm. but I can eat a sleeve of saltine crackers with a bowl of vegetable soup and the crackers themselves get digested into sugar. So it doesn't taste sweet, but it's a starch. And I always describe starch as a long chain of sugars. Mm-hmm. And once my digestive juices get a hold of that, they break the chain into individual links, which are actually sugars. Mm-hmm. So things don't have to taste sweet to for your body your to sugar. Yeah, for your body to turn them into something sweet. <laughs> right. And when it's something that's refined, like a you know a like a white saltine cracker or white bread, white pasta, those types of things, it doesn't take as much effort for our body to to get it broken, chop down. that up, and turn it into sugar. That's why we kind of harp on whole grains or things that are are wheat are whole wheat based because of the fiber content in it. And, and thereby is another myth yep. that we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There is truth to the fact that if it's a higher fiber, and, and I, what I hear all the time is a brown bread mm-hmm. or brown rice or brown pasta, you know, that kind of thing, um, that you can eat more of it. Right. <clears throat> well, it's still a starch. Right. <laughs> so so I uh, have folks that believe the myth that they can fill their plate with brown rice and just this monstrous it's just pile super healthy. Of it. Yeah, because it's better for you. Right. And so those foods get kind of a little halo, you know, they're they're all good <laughs> because they're brown. Right. And and people will tend to think I can eat wheat bread so I can eat three sandwiches at lunch. And that's not true, though. You still need to know the total amount of starch or carbohydrate. And even though it has higher fiber, which means it will get digested a little more slowly and perhaps not spike your blood sugar as quickly as those more refined carbohydrates, you still have to watch your portions. Mm, Yeah. And that's a misconception. But, you know, I've watched people in a restaurant pile on big old pile of brown rice and, you know, top it with their Chinese food or mm-hmm. whatever, but that that's still too much rice. Right, right. Yeah. And rice in particular is just, you don't get a whole lot of bang for your buck in terms of nutrition wise. Right. Yeah. You know, it can definitely be a part of um, a, a balanced meal. I would caution you that if you're serving yourself up rice multiple times during the day for multiple meals, and that's probably a little bit too much of that particular carbohydrate at one, you know, in one day, um, because really about a third of a cup is all the rice you need. And that's just a little bit of rice. That's just enough rice to make you mad sometimes, exactly. you know. And then you need to know, too, that you can make things brown. Yep. Without adding extra fiber. That's right. So I always say, you know, I can make my whole wheat bread look really good if I had a little molasses. Mm-hmm. So be careful to read the label and to look for the, the bread or the brown rice that has the highest number of grams of fiber. Mm-hmm. Because that's really the point right. is that those are higher in fiber. But we can make things brown other ways. In particular, a lot of the um, cheaper breads or the store brand a lot of times or any of them that just say wheat 
bread. Right. That just means they have to have some wheat flour in them. It doesn't mean they have to be whole wheat. And so you may see the you know first ingredient will say enriched whole wheat flour. Mm-hmm. And then on down in there, you'll see caramel coloring or molasses or somewhere in that. And then when you look at the actual dietary fiber, it'll clock in somewhere around one, two, two. grams of fiber per yeah. slice. Um, and that's just not cutting it if we're truly trying to add a whole grain. Right. So, you know, if you're really going for a whole grain, I don't care if it's dark brown. You know, some of them might be kind of very pale brown on those. But that first ingredient should say whole wheat or whole grain or whole oat or whatever type of, of grain product that it's coming from. And then usually the dietary fiber, I try and shoot for ones that have four to five grams of fiber and per that's slice. That's a good goal. That's a good goal. Because um, that's just going to slow the digestion of that bread. You know, all of it is eventually going to be broken down into sugar. But if we can add that fiber in there, then it just slows it down and it lets your blood sugar rise slower and more evenly instead of having these sugar spikes. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, sugar spikes just make you feel like stink. And we'll we'll talk about some of that when we come on back from the break. And we'll talk about some of those other foods that we've kind of held up higher in standards to others that may not be uh, the best thing for us if we have diabetes or if we're working to working on our waistline a little bit. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and talking with me about diabetes today is Kathy Warwick. She is a registered dietitian with um, and a certified diabetes educator, and we have been talking about facts and myths related to diabetes, and we've been talking about some foods here uh, the past couple of minutes, and so if you guys have questions about um, what foods are uh, appropriate, although I usually say there are no bad foods. No bad foods. There are no bad foods. That just sets up a whole unhealthy relationship with food. You can make almost any food out there fit into a normal eating pattern if you just exercise some uh, control on your portion sizes and what you uh, balance it out with. But we would love to answer any of those questions today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring All right, and we are going to go to the phone lines and talk with Norma and Macomb. Good morning, Norma. Good morning. How are you today? I'm great. Good. What can we help you with? Uh, I uh, was diagnosed with pre-diabetes um, three years ago. Okay. And the doctor the doctor told me to cut back on my weight about seven percent, mm-hmm. and I, um, I at that time I was two hundred forty-three pounds. Yes, ma'am. And I started exercising, going to the gym, and doing stuff. And so I did cut back, and 
I stopped going to the doctor and I gained back up to two. I had get, went down to 218 and I went back up to 237. And after that, I started walking. Mm-hmm. And I said 30 minutes a day for five days a week. Yes, ma'am. And right now, I am um, 208 pounds. Ooh, look and at I'm you, girl. Continuing, <laughs> I'm continuing to walk every morning. Yes, I get ma'am. up at 7. And I go out and walk for 30 minutes a day. And I've lost about one pound a week. Good for you, Norma. Well, you are my poster girl. I I need to have you on a poster because those are all the things that I talk about. And the thing that that you just gave everybody was um, the hint that you don't have to be running marathons to have this work for you. Mm -hmm. You know, that 30 minutes, five days a week is very effective. And it can be just walking. It can be walking in a swimming pool if you've got bad joints or Mm -hmm. bad knees or something like that. You can do chair exercise if you have arthritis. So just moving your body makes all the difference. That's exactly right. I have bad knees and I got arthritis. I'm 72 years old. I have um, I have just been walking. Sometimes I walk for 45 minutes because mm-hmm. I forget where I'm going. <laughs> I just, I just, Goodness. And I have cut back on my bread, mm-hmm. my rice, my potatoes, my macaroni, all of that. If I have a serving of macaroni, I don't have potatoes. That day, oh so girl, you I have preaching it. Back <laughs> I'm, my mother had diabetes. My mm-hmm. father had diabetes, and I'm determined that I'm not going to get it. Well, you're so. you're on the right path. You are. You're doing all the good things. That's awesome. Yes, ma'am. So proud of you. For your radio <laughs> conversation because I enjoyed that, and I I knew what that you were saying was true. So. Well, thank you for I calling and letting call everybody know that no. we were right. <laughs> yes. You're living proof that it can do what you yes, can do. Yes, ma'am. It. Well, you keep doing it and you keep living the healthiest life you can, all right? Thank you. You're welcome. You know, that it, that warms my heart a little bit. Me you know, too. Because so often, you know, we see folks who are in the, the cycle of just being burnt out and discouraged with trying to lose weight or, mm-hmm. or you know, eat healthier, move more. And, you know, they see it kind of as an all or nothing situation. You know, either I'm able to run a marathon or, you know, do CrossFit or lift weights or, you know, do Zumba, all those types of things, or I'm not healthy. Or, you know, I can't have macaroni and cheese. If I have macaroni and cheese, and I've, then I've failed. You they know? also imagine that they've got away what they weighed in high school. Yeah, that ship and, sailed for me. You know, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And and we shouldn't tell patients that. Mm-hmm. We We should give them advice like her doctor did. Of the five to seven percent mm-hmm. is enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's enough to see a big change. So that's doable. If I say I'm going to lose five pounds in the next two months, and I'm going to lose another five pounds, mm-hmm. if you take it one small step at a time, it's not overwhelming. You don't eat an elephant in one bite. You eat it one little small piece at a time, and that's what you you know need to kind of keep you from being discouraged. Right. And one eating event, as my other dietitian friend loves to say, does not ruin a diet. Mm-hmm. So if I do eat a little more of this or have birthday cake on my you know, husband's birthday, fine. But don't say I'll start over next Monday. Say I'll start over next meal and I'll go back to my, mm-hmm. my routine. And just as much as you can be consistent, 
it gets easier and easier and easier the longer you do it. And you feel better. So then it makes it more motivating to continue. You know, I'm sure that her knees don't hurt as much Mm -hmm. when she weighed more. And so that that motivates me to keep my exercise up because I feel better. And um, and that's the key. You got to do it just long enough, at least to start seeing some benefits and feeling better and your blood sugar to improve. And then you think, well, maybe this is really worth Mm -hmm. it. And it's really not as hard as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I cannot stress enough the importance of setting smart goals. And so I don't mean that there's a stupid goal. Smart stands for certain things, specific, mm-hmm. measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-oriented. And and those are the basis for making lasting behavior change. When we make um, goals that are, are less on the smart end of it, um, those are things like, I'm, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Right. So how long are you, you know, what's your time frame that you're wanting on that? Because if we're going to put it out as, you know, in the next year, two years, that may be an okay goal, but it's still a way long-term goal that I would encourage you to kind of break that up into a little bit more manageable pieces right. on. We write goals at the end of each diabetes mm-hmm. class, and sometimes it just says, I'm going to try to eat smaller portions on a smaller plate for each meal, mm-hmm. and that's our goal for the mm-hmm. day, and, and that's okay, because you'll lose weight if you do that, yeah. Yeah. and that's easy. Yeah. Grab a salad plate. Instead of a dinner plate, watch those second helpings. If you do just those two little things, you'll lose weight. Yeah. You know, and so in lifestyle clinic, one of the things we do is we look at kind of eight different domains of diet. And so it's, you know, how much fast food we're doing, how many servings of fruit we're getting, how many servings of veggies, you know, how many sugared beverages we're having, how many servings of lean protein are we doing versus red meat, those types of things. And we we start where the person is. So let's say... For sugared beverages, we're doing two sugared beverages a day, you know, a sweet tea and a Coke. And, you know, traditionally, when folks are trying to diet or lose weight, they would just say, well, I have to just stop having soda. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and while, you know, in my heart, I believe we probably don't need all that sugar. That's a hard thing for a lot of folks to mm-hmm. to let go of. And so they do really good for a couple of weeks and then they're out somewhere and there's no unsweetened beverage there or they really want something more than water. And so they go, oh, that Coke really looks good, you know, and they have one and then they go, oh, well, I just made a huge mistake. I'm, you know, I messed I up. It. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have my sweet tea now and then I'm going to have some more Cokes. And gosh, those Cokes really did taste good. And the cycle just continues. Whereas if you just say, you know what, I'm going to go from two sugared beverages a day to one sugared beverage a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about 200 to 250 calories are cutting out of your diet right there. Right there. And so, if you buy the little baby size yeah. um, canned Coca-Colas, um, I have a patient that did that this last week. And she's she's so excited because just cutting back to the smaller portion made all the difference so Mm -hmm. she's she's planning to give those up or Mm -hmm. to phase them out but every now and then you just might need a coke or like you just need chocolate yeah but if you eat two or three hershey's kisses you're not ruining your diet and you didn't blow it and you you got your fix for your chocolate and sometimes that's all you need but it keeps you on track Mm -hmm. to think i didn't ruin everything by having that treat and when you achieve those short-term smart goals 
that just really increases your confidence in the fact that, mm-hmm. yes, I can do this. I you can. know, I can do this. And so, you know, I, I focus less on weight initially in these relationships when we're helping folks. I want to see behaviors change exactly. because the weight will come with the behavior change. Any little change will make a difference. But the behaviors are what we have to focus on and not shaming folks and not making unhealthy relationships with food. Because that mm-hmm. just breaks my heart when they're when I see folks who just are scared to eat. I know. You know that, that, that takes just, the joy out of life. Does, we don't want to do that. <laughs> and so we'll continue talking about that. And I want to talk about fruit juice when we come back from the break as well. Now is the time to give us a call if you have a question or a comment. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 We'll be back after the break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and Kathy Warwick, registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, has been joining me this hour as we tackle diabetes and the facts and myths and all the information that's out there about diabetes. We've been talking food for the past uh, couple minutes about what uh, some sneaky foods are that we kind of consider health foods, but when overindulged in are not that great for us. And um, I want to talk about fruit juice, Kathy, because um, I see a ton of patients who go, well, it's it's fruit and we're supposed to have more fruit. So I'm going to drink, I'm going to drink lots of juice and I'm going to be super healthy. Talk to me about juice because my view on, on juice, <coughs> excuse me, is if you don't chew it, it's not really a fruit. Um, you know, you're getting some of the vitamins and minerals from it, but you're missing out on the fiber, exactly. which is what helps balance out fruits. So why it's such a good choice for a snack item, um, but not that great a choice for a beverage. So, right. talk and we to me about we also that. hear the the myth that because it is fruit and it is a quote natural sugar that it won't raise your blood sugar. Right. And that's that gets repeated <laughs> quite often. Yes. Um, the truth is that your body knows the sugar's there, even if it's a, quote, natural source. God put it in the fruit or it was squeezed straight from an orange into a glass. Right. The, the bottom line is that Josie's right about the fact that if I squeeze several oranges to fill a glass of juice, what's in the glass is 100% sugar. I know that shocks folks. They look at me like I'm from Mars when I say that. But what's left in my hand is the good fiber. Mm -hmm. So 
it, it's not that we can't have juice, but a four ounce portion is a portion, which mm-hmm. is tiny, y'all. It's a little bitty glass like your grandmama used to get, you know, mm-hmm. a long time ago. We don't even have glasses that size. Nope. So it's like two shot glasses. Exactly. And so so people will be drinking a 24 ounce glass of juice thinking it's, quote, healthy. And it is confusing in the store. You see the orange juice carton. It says 100 percent natural. Natural doesn't mean anything, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and we didn't create it in a factory. 100 <laughs> percent natural. No sugar added. Unsweetened Florida orange juice. Right. So it sounds really good. But it is 100% sugar. It's a natural sugar, and that's fine. And it does have folic acid and vitamin C and some other good things for us. But eating that whole fresh fruit two or three times a day as a snack um, is a great option. I'm not saying no juice, right? but you do have to be aware of that four-ounce portion size. And that may take the place of another serving of carbohydrates. So if I drink a little glass of juice with breakfast, I don't need two pieces of toast. I might need just one. So I've got to think in terms of how to plan my menu so that I can work in some juice. They also now make some great diet juices. There's um, some V8 Splash and some diet cranberry that have only five calories and a couple of grams of carbohydrate. If you're missing your juice, you can certainly Mm -hmm. switch to one of those. Um, I think the the snack idea is a great, the whole fruit is a great way to snack. Be careful again about portions. If the apple is a big old softball size apple, (laughs) you need to split that and share it with a friend. Mm -hmm. Or if it's grapes, you need to make sure that you're you're got one little small handful of grapes, not the whole bag. Mm -hmm. Because even that fresh fruit with the natural sugar can still run my blood sugar up too high if I eat too large a portion. Mm -hmm. So other good snacky things that you can do for diabetes or if you have heart disease and they go hand in hand is um, a quarter cup of nuts. If you're watching your blood pressure, try to do the unsalted version. And it really doesn't matter to me what type of nuts. Mm-hmm. I know we hear almonds and walnuts are more healthy, blah, blah, blah. But hey, you know. If it keeps you from getting some chips and pecans are your thing, I would rather see you eat I would you rather eat see you pecans, eat the nuts. You know? Right. And then, you know, Greek yogurt with a little fresh fruit or even a, um, some like a cheese stick, like mm-hmm. a mozzarella cheese stick. It's a lower fat version of cheese. Or even a little peanut butter with your apple mm-hmm. or those kinds of things. You can take uh, hummus and dip your celery sticks and carrot sticks in a little hummus. I, I just would caution that you might want to go ahead and make those snacks up ahead of time mm-hmm. because I'm bad about eating the whole bag or the whole box or the whole can or the whole whatever we it all is. are. You know, that's <laughs> so, that whole mindless eating. We sit down to snack and we just keep snacking Keep snacking if it's there and in front of you we tend to put it in our mouth so just you know i pack my um lunch for for work a lot of days and and one of the cute ideas i saw on pinterest or something was take a little bit of your hummus or peanut butter and put it in the bottom of a small canning jar like mm-hmm. a little pint half pint canning jar and then stick your carrot sticks or your celery sticks up in that jar and put your lid on there and keep it cold then you've got a limited amount of dipping sauce Mm -hmm. and you've got your fresh veggies to dip it in um you can do the same thing with apples and put a little lemon juice on them so they don't turn brown but there are a lot of great take with you snacks Mm -hmm. and i do nuts on my greek yogurt or i do strawberries on my greek yogurt with some nuts sometimes Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. 
But the higher the protein and the more nutrient-rich those snacks are, the less likely you'll be hungry again before that next meal. Right. You know, that protein is what anchors us down and keeps us from getting hangry, is how I like to call it. <laughs> when you eat something that's just sugar-based, it doesn't hang around for very long, and you wind up just being frustrated in about an hour. And then you usually you've eaten up all your healthy snacks that you've packed, and you go to this vending machine and make a, a less-than-stellar choice from that. So, you know, or I'll, eat too much at your next meal because yeah. you're starving. Right. And I, you know, actually this past weekend on Facebook, I saw multiple people posting their meals that they were, you know, doing better and doing healthier. And they would get comments like, where's the protein? And they would say, well, I'm going to have some chicken later on. And it just, I was like, wait, stop. <laughs> it's not like a one time a day thing. You, your body only uses a certain amount of protein and can process a certain amount of protein at a time. So you can't just save it all up and have all the all the chicken at, at lunch. That's not yeah. the way it works. You know, you need some protein at each each one of those meals and snack time to keep you full. And even um, plant-type protein mm-hmm. is fine. That's a healthy option. You know, the, the nuts are a plant-type protein. Things like um, dried beans or peas, any of those um, choices give us some protein and fiber and Edamame, hummus, all of those all are of great those. plant-based sources of protein. Right. So so it doesn't have to be meat if you're not just a big Or dairy or egg, any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of good research out there that a whole foods plant-based diet is great at treating um, heart disease and diabetes. And so if that's the path that you want to take, I'm fine with that as well. Um, but I'm also fine with folks who want to have a little bit of, of animal protein in there as well, just knowing that that is going to increase your saturated fat content because that's where saturated fat lives. But there we go back to portions. Mm -hmm. I don't need three pieces of fried chicken. I need one and I can do better if I bake or broil Mm -hmm. or grill it. And so, you know, you have options. Just don't feel like you it's an all or nothing thing. Right. And we can work with you to help you eat the things you like and then still control blood sugar and help with your heart disease or cholesterol. Because that's what it's about, being happy and healthy, not healthy and miserable. And deprived. That's right. (laughs) So, oh my goodness, the hour is over with. It always goes by so fast. (laughs) Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you for our listeners and our callers. Remember to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. I've been your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio.